Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Gospel reading of Luke and the New Testament reading of Colossians, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if I were to tell you that the reading from the Gospel was not about greed, would you agree with me? You're quickly thinking about the Gospel reading, which said... Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Hmm. Well, that certainly sounds like greed to me. Okay, if I were to tell you that the reading from the gospel is not mainly about greed, would you agree with me? You remember it tells a story about a guy who didn't have a place to store all of his abundant crops, so he tore down his old barns to build newer, bigger, better ones so he can eat, drink, and be merry. Oh, and then God says his life will be taken from him, and it ends by saying that this is how it will be for those who store things up for themselves but are not rich toward God. Hmm. Still not convinced? Well, if the reading from the gospel is not mainly about greed, then what is it about? It's not mainly about greed or money or possessions or stuff. It's all about the heart, especially when we look at it with the New Testament reading from Colossians, which begins with, set your hearts on things above. So the question I then ask you today is, how is your heart? Because when we do talk about things like greed, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, it is a matter of the heart. Colossians tells us to put to death those things that belong to our earthly nature, that is, our sinful nature. And if we're supposed to put them to death, that means they can't be good for us, and they can't be good for our heart. I like how it ends with greed, and then it says, which is idolatry. When we look at the root of greed, it really all goes back to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. Maybe you've never thought too much about all the things that you want in life, that those can be idols, gods, that the money you work hard for to have all the things that you do can be an idol. That the possessions that you store up can be God's. But there's another scripture passage that I can use to help you show what God thinks. Matthew chapter 6 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then it ends with Matthew saying, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When we look at any passage that deals with money, greed, sexual immorality, lust, evil desires, it's always a matter of the heart. And when it comes down to it, it's really a question of, Who your master is. Who or what really is your master can be answered when you evaluate where you put your effort, time, and yes, even your money. 
In Matthew, Jesus is trying to help people determine who or what really is their real master. Because that is where your heart will be. God or money. If your central focus in life is money, your master is money. Your heart will then focus on greed and you will store up earthly things. And that will be your treasure. Because your master will control your heart. I think that all of us have this temptation. Because we live in a world that is selfish, greedy, self-centered, that applauds wealth and money and looks down on those with little. And greed is a sin. It's idolatry because you're putting your desire to eat, drink, and be merry above your desire for God in your life. And you can insert the word greed for whatever your temptation is because it could be sexual immorality or pride or envy or anything that is the center of your life that isn't God. We struggle with this whole God as our master because we want to be the masters of our lives. We want to be in charge, have total control, not God. So when it comes to allowing the real master to be the master, we fail time and time again. Psalm 51 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And in Romans, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are sinful, selfish people, and if we try to follow Jesus, we fail. Because we focus on ourselves first, and we put God second. He doesn't want to be second. He wants to be the center of every moment of your life. He doesn't want to play second fiddle to money, desires, whatever you put first. And it all goes back to a basic understanding of God. So where do we begin? Well, at the beginning, of course. Let's read the first article of the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now, for all you catechism people out there, we say, what does this mean? Well, let me read to you the explanation. I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. When we look at the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, we see that in six days God created everything. He is the maker of heaven and earth. Now in the last three weeks we've had our VBS here, one in Pelican Narrows, where we learned about our God of wonders, his creation and his miraculous mission for us. He is the master of all, but he is the owner as well. All of this is God's. None of it is really ours, even though we probably don't ever think like it doesn't belong to us. God is our creator and we are his creation. And he has given us all of these things in life. Clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, wife, children, golf clubs, boats, iPhones, guitars, and so on. Even life comes from him. 
And he gives it to us daily because he loves us, not because we do anything to deserve it. So what does that mean for us? If God's the owner, that means we have been called to be his managers. He has made everything on the earth. He has given us abundant blessings, and he has called us to be in charge of it, to take care of it all. It's not ours. It's all his. But he has graciously given it to us. We are the managers, and God is the owner and the master of our life. But that doesn't mean we treat him that way. And we are tempted to have many other things be our master. The struggle behind who is your master is really a struggle between the love of God in Christ Jesus and the power of sin and the devil in our life. Now, you may have heard it explained like we have this God-sized hole in our heart. It can only be truly filled with God. But because we're sinners, we're tempted to fill it with all kinds of other things. Money, stuff, people, drugs, alcohol, anything but God. The problem is, unless you fill that hole, H-O-L-E, with God, you will never be whole, W-H-O-L-E. And if all you ever do is fill that hole with things other than God, if you continue to live a life of sin, when your life on this earth ends, you will meet your true master, except it will be too late. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want anyone to suffer eternal death to go to hell. That's why Jesus came, to fill your hole with himself. He wants to be in a closely connected relationship with you to give you forgiveness and eternal life, to give you himself. And the beauty of this relationship is that you neither start it nor maintain it. We are again reminded of this when we look at the Apostles' Creed. So let's look at the third article, the last paragraph, and read it together. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And then, of course, I say, what does this mean? I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. God started this relationship with you either when he brought you to faith or when you were baptized. Therefore, God makes the relationship that you have with him. God also maintains his relationship with you. The Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth. All that makes up God's relationship with you is an ongoing gift from him to build the closeness that he desires to have with you. He's the one who continues to fill your heart and keep it full. Imagine it like this. When a couple starts dating, they begin a process of learning about each other that lasts their entire relationship. It doesn't just end with marriage. When they marry, they continue to seek ways they can please each other and search for ways to give each other what is good and beneficial for one another. Sometimes they give gifts that are expensive. And sometimes it's a quiet few moments sitting on a swing together after a busy day. Some gifts cost money. 
But the greatest gifts come from the heart as a response of love. So it is with God. Think about the greatest gift we've ever been given. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave generously for you an expensive gift, the life of his Son, so your sins would be forgiven, and so you can live forever. And what he wants is to be your master, to fill your heart as he speaks to you through his word, loves you so much that he gave the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, on the cross to remove your sin from you through his death and resurrection. That was Jesus' miraculous mission, to die and rise for us. And he calls us on a mission to go and love and serve him. He has given us his Holy Spirit who helps us to do this and do what Hebrew says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is our example, our model, and he did it all for us because he loves us. As Colossians says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus loved us so much that he died for us. And our response to him is to love him, to serve him, and be good, faithful caretakers of all that he has given us. And we do this because even our faith is a gift from him. The life of faith, the Christian life, is a lifelong journey, traveling in Christ's power with the Holy Spirit. And this journey ends in victory because Christ is victorious. Jesus rules in our hearts, fills us up, and helps us in this journey of life because he first loved us and gave us his heart. This life begins and ends with Jesus, who daily and richly provides you with all that you need for this body and life. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.